Hello and welcome back to The Brunch Files, where we serve up bottomless, brunch-worthy topics about life in your 30s. We're your hosts, Rachel and Tegan, and on the menu today, we are going to be talking all about toxic workplaces. So we're going to talk about the signs and symptoms of a toxic workplace and what you can do if you find yourself stuck in one. Yeah, so it's definitely a juicy topic for today's episode. But before we do jump in, we did just want to give a little bit of a shameless plug for our social channels and ask if you could quickly head over to Instagram or TikTok and give us a follow. We are thebrunchfiles.podcast on both of those platforms. And also before you continue listening, if you could just jump into our homepage on the podcast app that you're listening and leave us a star rating or a review, that would be amazing too. It really helps us out. Yes, we would love that. So let's jump in. We thought we'd start off with some stats and facts about work just to sort of set the scene and really about how much time we actually spend at work. Mm -hmm. It's pretty alarming when you jump into the the stats, but according to the Huffington Post, the average person will actually spend around 90,000 hours or more at work over their lifetime. And that, you know, it means an average person is spending about 13.2. Uh, 13 years and two months at work. Oh, 13 years. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, I saw 90,000 hours. I was like, no. And then you Mm. put it in years, it's like, heck, like so much of our lives Mm. is spent at work. So that's what roughly 20 to 30% of our lifetime's worth. Yeah, if you base it off the sort of the average lifespan of a person, yeah. Yeah, and a, and a nine-to-five, five-day job. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and in contrast, I thought this was really fascinating. People only spend around 368 days socialising with friends or families on average over the course of a lifetime. Oh, I think that's that's sad. Yeah. It cannot be right for everyone, surely. It makes sense because when you catch up with people, it's for a few hours at a time. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Not but, a whole day. But still, I think it just it's, it's a pretty stark contrast. to go. It's a significant chunk of your lifetime that you're spending at work and so it's really important that you know that is benefiting you and not having a negative impact totally so if we are spending that time at work I think it's important that we do enjoy the work uh, sorry are doing work that we enjoy Uh, we are doing work that is meaningful to us and work that um, we find some kind of fulfillment in Mm -hmm. and also in contrast you know not be in a workplace where we are miserable or treated poorly yeah definitely I think we can all probably think of a time where we've whether it be a part-time job or a full-time job or early in our career or later in our career where we've been in an environment or we've known someone who's been in an environment that is really toxic at Mm -hmm. work and just the impact that can have on you you know waking up every morning dreading going to work coming Mm -hmm. home in a bad mood and I think the really important thing when it comes to toxic workplaces and why where possible you can take it's important to take action Mm -hmm. if you find yourself in one and we really hope everyone who's listening today isn't in that situation Mm -hmm. but if you are it's just they're the sorts of it's the sort of thing that if you let it, it can really bleed outside of work and into all other parts of your life and take a really, really big toll. And it can become quite bitter and twisted and, you know, upset mm. in all areas of your life. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And I mean, while we'd love to say that for the majority of workers, their current job fits that positive criteria uh research um more depressing research tegan (laughs) from linkedin shows that's far from the truth so there's stats that show that more than 70 percent of nine to five workers are unhappy with their jobs how sad is that yeah and to clarify it wasn't like they're unhappy with their job in its entirety but Mm. there's elements of their job and like a number of elements for them to say that yeah on the whole they Mm. prefer to be working somewhere else basically like they're not waking up in the morning like i love my job i am fulfilling my life's purpose yeah and i think it's really unreasonable to assume that you know we will love our jobs every second of every day you know it's that old adage where it goes you know if you love what you do you'll never work a day in your life (laughs) i think that's a bit of bs (laughs) because even i'm sure there's people who 
even if they're leaving their passion and their job is what they love, there'd still be days where you wake up and go, I'd really be rather rather sunning myself on a beach somewhere totally. than having to do this today. So, you know, but it means that the stats really show that our, work, our time spent at work is really, really valuable. And so we really need to sort of take control of that and make sure we're spending it um, in places that kind of serve us and, and mm-hmm. gives us, yeah, like you said, fulfilment, um, enjoyment. And what was the other thing? That list not being, I suppose, not being miserable or treated poorly. Yeah. But yeah, having that something that's meaning and fulfilling. And yes. we actually enjoy a lot of the time and a lot mm. of what we do. Yeah. And I think having good people around you too, like having good teammate, team members yeah. uh, makes such a difference, doesn't it? Just yeah. to that day-to-day enjoyment. Yeah. And the culture of a workplace is so much defined by the people. It is the people. Oh, yeah. The people is what makes or breaks the culture. Mm-hmm. I know there's clients and things if you're in a client-facing environment that can have an impact as well. Mm. But really, honestly, if, it, if it's how that business and the people in that business respond mm-hmm. to those situations, that really is the yeah the defining factor of a workplace culture. Yeah, and it's probably worth noting that we're probably coming at this from the lens of a corporate kind of workplace environment, be that, you know, a business organisation Um or what have you, obviously a lot of this will be applicable to anything like retail um, services, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. but probably just worth noting our experience um, or our lens to this is is from that kind of corporate corporate workplace. But mm. what are some signs and symptoms of a toxic workplace, Tegan? Mm. Well, I think the first one really is um, high turnover. Mm. I feel like if I was starting a new job and I came in and – you know, everyone, it felt like every two weeks someone someone new was leaving or mm-hmm. a lot of roles being advertised. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, like if you're looking on LinkedIn and it's like, oh, you know, five or six jobs have come up from this co- this mm. same company, all in a very similar field. I feel like that's a bit of a red flag for me. I'd want to mm. know why that is. Mm-hmm. Like have they just created a new department and that's why there's new roles or is it because they've had a heap of people leave? And if so, why? Because it's not – I mean, I think a little bit of turnover is a sign of a healthy workplace mm-hmm. as well because I also think – if you come into a workplace where people have been there 15, mm-hmm. 20 years and you're the only new person, like it's a place with stifled innovation and people yes. just, you know, probably hanging on to retirement and that's, that can create a toxic workplace in another mm. way. But yeah, high turnover. If people are leaving, you want to know why. Yeah. And it's, it's a tricky one because like when you're, say, in a job interview, I always want to ask about team culture and workplace culture. Mm. Um, obviously, if you're being interviewed, maybe it's your second interview and it's your manager or your soon-to-be manager if you get the job, you don't always know, you know, if you're going to get an honest answer about that. Mm. And, I mean, I've I had a job interview in the past where I I asked pretty point blank, like, what is the culture like? This is really important to me and I need to be moving into a workplace that has a really positive culture. And the person that was interviewing me was like, oh, look, that you know, there's been some issue. He didn't really disclose much, but he alluded to um, the fact that, there was a bit of change happening and it needed to happen. Mm. Um, in hindsight, I should have taken that as a big red flag mm. and I didn't. I was like, oh, that sounds okay. Yeah. Um, soon discovered that that was probably <laughs> – probably should have really listened to that. So I guess mm. look out for those subtle things. If you ask straight out right in an interview and they don't, you know, rave about how important culture is. And, yeah. I mean, anyone can say that. But Definitely. I guess try and be a little bit um, – a little bit discerning yeah. uh, with those responses, I suppose. Would be, yeah, that's something I, I've learned. Definitely. And I think even if they're saying, oh, you know, there's been a lot of change and things like that, you know, there's been some challenges, that sort of thing. I think it's really important to recognise that culture in a business takes a long time to change. Mm-hmm. It's not something that can just get changed overnight. No. So it kind of, yeah, I think some of those statements could 
could certainly allude to the fact that there probably is some lingering issues. And mm-hmm. sometimes coming in as a new person, like new people can inject a lot of new life and, yes. and that can make a really big difference. But you probably will be still dealing with some new colleagues who are carrying a bit of baggage and might be a bit jaded. Totally. I saw something recently that um, said it's okay to, or you should ask in a job interview where the person that where, where the role came from is it a newly created mm. role or where has the person gone like why has it become avail, available mm-hmm. or vacant and I hadn't really thought about that before yeah. that that's one way of um maybe digging into that I feel like most question. times I've gone for a job they've explained yeah. sort of a little bit of a history True. of the role um but yeah definitely they have, they don't offer that information mm. up definitely should ask and if you ask and they haven't got much to you know it might be a little bit revealing as well yeah what else I think little to no work-life balance so think emails and messages out of work hours and an expectation that you'll be responding and reading them outside of hours Mm -hmm. no time for breaks having to eat lunch at your desk every day or having the pressure that you have to do that you feel like you can't feel like you can't no matter how if you could feasibly take the time mm-hmm. to go and eat your lunch in the kitchen or go for a walk or whatever, but you feel like you have to be present at presenteeism. Yeah, you get that, the guilt or whatever. Mm. And it's like, oh, no one else is doing it, so yep. I won't do Red it. Red flag. Red flag. And even um, things like your boss scheduling uh, meetings right in that kind of lunchtime, so like 12 to 1 or whatever. I hadn't really thought about that too much before. And then someone pointed out to me, they're like, um, you know, culture is set from the top. And it can be little things like that that really set the tone. And maybe that in itself, of course, we're all going to have a 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock meeting um, every now and then. But if it's like, you know, your weekly team meeting and it's always across your lunch break or Mm -hmm. just things like that um, or even when you you take leave but it feels like it's a big deal to be asking for it or you come back from leave and your boss makes a comment about how busy it was and, oh, we'll be glad. You know, It's nice to be told that they're glad you're back but sometimes those little bit of guilt that's like just implanted, like, oh, everyone was under a lot of pressure in your absence. Instead of being like, this was your leave, you're entitled to it, hope you feel refreshed welcome back you know yeah. there's such a it's stark contrast isn't it definitely there's a way to do that yeah um and I guess just unreasonably high workloads um you know if you're under the pump and you don't have enough support and you don't have the capacity and then things just keep piling on and obviously that you know you sh- we all should be empowered to be able to put our hand up and say look there's a lot going on what do you want to prioritize mm. but if you don't feel like you you know you have that safe kind of environment in order to do, do that, that that's probably a big red flag also yeah I think the high workload thing is an interesting one because some, I mean, look, most work, workplaces ebb and flow and there should, you know, we all have times where we're busy totally. and times when we're quieter, but it's when you're in those busy times and people are just piling it on and there's no sort of offer of help or no sort of plan. Check in. Yeah. Like if you're a manager giving someone and you know, you should recognize that you've given someone a lot of work mm-hmm. and actually say to them, Hey, how are you going for capacity? Yeah. And then if they say, oh, look, I'm a little bit busy right now, it's like, well, look, what else is on your plate and how can we sort of move mm-hmm. some things around? But if there's no willingness to that conversation, it's just kind of an expectation that mm-hmm. I give you something and you get it done ASAP, then yeah, not a great sign. That's it. And what about like little recognition for a job well done? Yeah. I feel like a tiny bit of thanks, a little bit of recognition goes such a long way, doesn't it? And especially yep. if you've gone out of your way uh, to, you know, land a project or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if someone just calls it out, or, you know, we've all been there where we've yeah. drafted something for our boss and then they have to send it on to their boss. And a little line in that email that says, you know, thanks to Rachel for um, pulling this together. Yep. It just, it's like a pat on the back, isn't it? Whereas the opposite of that where they claim that work and yeah, send it I was about to say yep. that. I was like, the, the other part to this is, yeah, when people claim your work as their own mm-hmm. and don't acknowledge where it came from or that, yep. yeah, particularly to more senior people. Yep. It's such a, yeah. 
and it grinds I, my gears. It does. And it's it's not hard to do, is it? Saying, you know, just, no. just credit where credit's due, point it out, say thank you. That's yeah. something I've learned that I always try and do. Well, also, why does that person have to be the person to send it? Mm. Can't they just say, <gasps> yes. hey, can you send it to the – I mean, obviously it depends. If you, but most of the time the person you're doing the work for, you have some sort of relationship. Totally. So it would be nice. I think it's really nice when someone says, oh, you just send it on. You do just, the work. Just CC yeah. me. Yeah, and it's fine. So then, the, the, that way you can, yeah, you get total credit for the work that you've done. I've had that, or I had this amazingly supportive boss, and he would always encourage me. Um, no, you sent that. You do that. Just copy me in. Mm. He didn't need to see the cover note that I was putting with that email. You know, no. to our bigger boss, he was just like, no, you do this. And then, in contrast, new boss starts. They requested that any email to that higher up boss is run by them. Really, mm. it should just be them emailing the boss, that kind of thing. And it's like, okay, I'm not, you know, some intern that doesn't know how to send an email. Like, yeah. And it's just it's just so interesting to see those different styles and just the difference it makes in how you feel about your ability to do the job. Mm-hmm. But also for that manager, what a whole bunch of extra unnecessary work they're oh, just creating for themselves. Bottleneck. Yeah. Micromanaging. Oh, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother part. <laughs> yep. Um next we had uh, no transparency on how decisions are made slash what's happening in the broader workplace. So yeah. I think if your manager knowingly withhold withholds information, valuable information, decisions are made quickly with no consultation you know you have a conversation with your manager and you make an agreement and then 10 minutes later an email comes in and they've done the total opposite Mm. you know that blindsiding I think all of that just not conducive to a good workplace and can make you feel very uh what's the word oh just Um, like unempowered I suppose you feel a bit like you're like, well, they don't trust me enough to bring me yes. into the loop. Like they're keeping stuff. Mm. I mean, obviously, you know, there's going to be times where you don't need to know everything and not every level is going to know everything. But um, there's so much to be said for sort of having that honest, open, here's what's going on, just keeping you in the loop, yep. expect this in the next day or two yes. instead of like you're, you're finding out when everyone else yeah. finds out. And you also, especially if it impacts your work, if you're mm-hmm. going to be required to respond or deal with it and then you get brought in same time everyone else does and you get asked from other parts in the business like well, what's happening here what happened and you're like well I don't know like it doesn't reflect that well on your team or your boss no yeah yeah that frustrates me because well, other people yeah I used to find that in a previous role that I've had before where um yeah often that broader context is really useful and then sometimes things would happen that I'd been looped in with that impacts the work that I'm doing and then you have other people in the business saying hey what about this uh-huh. and it's like oh sorry I didn't know yeah and you feel silly and then you have to redo work and uh-huh. just waste time that is actually the most annoying thing. Yeah. And I guess generally low morale. Colleagues constantly yeah. complaining about the workplace. People are unhappy. You know, they're craving that Friday, living for the weekend, mm-hmm. crawling back to work on Monday. And sometimes it's also easy to think it's just you. You're like, this place, like, what is wrong with this place? I'm not, like, I'm finding this really difficult. I'm banging my head against a wall. Um, and then sometimes you can have a conversation with, like, a, a trusted colleague and find out they're in the exact same place. But sometimes people don't, you don't know that until you have that conversation. And then you're like, okay, I'm not going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and it can be hard to have those conversations yeah. in the workplace as well, especially if you're newer to it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, unfortunately, we can start and then, you know, you get a couple of weeks in, months in, and you realise, oh, crap, this place is really toxic. Mm-hmm. And then you don't necessarily have those established net networks within your department or within your team. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily know that other people are feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to bring it up because yep. you don't then want to be like the workplace gossip or complaining yeah. or that to then reflect badly on you because it gets around to such and such when you're still in a probationary period or whatever yep. it may be. It's tricky to navigate. Yep. But low, low morale is really awful because it, it 
it's pervasive. So even if mm. you come in and you're enthusiastic, if you're yes. working with people that are just disengaged, it just has this sort of like trickle-down effect and it just slowly mm-hmm. engulfs everyone and it can be really difficult to shift. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Workplace martyrs mm. is the other one. I feel like it kind of goes with that whole low morale yes. thing or just like disengaged or genuine, genuine like bit burnt out, stressed, that sort of environment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we all know that self-confessed, you know, I'm a workaholic or the person who <laughs> continually boasts about, you know, how busy they are oh. and how late they stayed at work and how early they started this morning or how they had to work all weekend. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, Susan, like we're done. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. need to go yeah. into every single And it's like a element. boast. It's not a yeah. like I'm genuinely like going to your friend mm-hmm. and being like, oh my goodness, my boss called me at 10 o'clock last night and I had to do this yep. thing. There's a difference between that and like announcing in the team's meeting like, yes. oh, you know, I was oh, we had this call late last night. Like it's just been such a busy time and I'm just – I had to work like oh, all weekend. Yes. You know, it's like – classic like look at me go yeah and I think we're probably all guilty of doing it at some point Mm. um but doing it once about it you know an isolated incident is very different to we all know the person Mm -hmm. that we're we're referring to here that it's all the time it's kind of part of their personal brand Mm. but I feel even though it's just one person it kind of then I feel like there are often people in that sort of more senior sort of middle Mm -hmm. middle of the road team around have been there a couple of years that sort of thing and it just again kind of almost places this like unwritten expectation mm. that that's what everyone should be doing. Well, you're not busy enough because yeah. you didn't work on the weekend. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you can't earn – you have to earn to be – like being able to claim you're busy. It's and like, a workaholic, yeah. yeah. I've had a boss do this and just constantly drop, you know, the late night phone call, the weekend work. And it's like, okay, cool, but like are you, are you trying to make us feel bad? This same boss had – an inability to delegate and mm. things would bottleneck with them. And it was really frustrating because you're like, okay, you're constantly telling us how much you've got on your plate, how much you're juggling, going on and on and on about it. But we all offer to help and there's no, you know, like give me more responsibility, but there's no abil- there's no willingness to do that. And yeah. like it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> no, so frustrating, so frustrating. Um, yeah, micromanagement oh. is something we also um, comment, co- commented on earlier. But, yes. you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're paid to do a job. And if you're feeling like you've got no autonomy, no trust, you're not empowered, you know, you're always overruled or, you know, you're given advice to go and do something and then you get there and you find your boss has done it anyway. Mm-hmm. It's, it just, yeah, I can think of like a, there's few things that would, Get, get to me as much at work as micromanagement. Agreed. This it just makes you feel incompetent. Totally. It knocks your confidence. It. Um, this is probably a pet peeve for me. I cannot stand this. I think early in my career I had bosses that were really um, – they really empowered me just mm. to – and they trusted me to do my job. They didn't need to see every single thing. And I've since had bosses that are the complete opposite where it's see every single thing, see every single email, review everything. They've given me projects and held on them onto them just enough to like hamstring me in that job. Yep. Um, instead of being like, here's this package of work, take it away, I trust you, bring it back to me when it's done. Mm-hmm. Like it's it is polar opposites and I can tell you – how disempowering is it? disempowering mm-hmm. unempowering um it is to have that kind of micromanagement leadership style mm-hmm. and how much that just knocks my confidence and the opposite when you when you have been given a piece of work and you are told that they trust you to do it you're like okay cool and you rise to that you're like i can yes. do this you believe in yourself mm-hmm. and it's just it's make or break for yeah. me i actually think it says more about the manager than it does about you it's, i think it's a real um insecurity on their part in mm-hmm. that they feel yeah, obviously that they feel that they have to oversee every single thing to make sure it's right because they're worried about the 
anything reflecting poorly on them mm. rather than I've had a manager when I spoke to them like just more broadly in general about my dislike for micromanagement. They were not a micromanager. They mm. literally said, you know, it's something that as a manager you have to learn that you've hired people to do a job. You have to let them do that job. Trust them. And if it doesn't work out, well, then you've got to figure out a plan to fix it. But mm-hmm. um, unless you give people the opportunity to actually give it a go, how do you know? And then nine times out of ten, that person probably does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, then you can actually spend the time focusing on your management responsibilities, mm-hmm. which there are a lot. Mm. Um, and spend less time on the tools rather than feeling like you have to be doing kind of everyone's job plus your own job mm-hmm. and then being stressed and running around like a headless chook all the yep. time. And worrying, like getting down into the weeds of little things, little decisions, mm-hmm. and, and you know, as opposed to trusting the team, the people you've hired to do them and letting yes. them do their job. Yep. And I just think overall productivity Definitely. would skyrocket in that kind of environment where yep. everyone knows what their job is, they believe that they can do it, they know they're trusted to do it, they go out and they do it and they do it well. Yes. The opposite, where you don't, you know, information is being kept from you. Mm-hmm. Little bits and pieces are being held onto. You're not being given full, um, full um, autonomy over a role. And you know what? You just you feel like, oh gosh, well I can't even do that. I need to wait yep. and I need to check this with my boss. I need to like we need to have this discussion before yep. I proceed. I don't feel like like even basic decisions. It knocks you back. Like it does. like basic decisions that pre- previous roles, you know, you would have just thought, yeah, I know the answer to this. I'll respond. I've been at the point where I will like, oh, I'm an R about sending an email and then think, oh, I better run it back past that boss because I've had a boss with that management style and it's mm. just made me question my instincts, my yep. skills, my ability and it's awful feeling. And it can be something really hard to push back against yes. as well because I think there are some jo- some um, managers who you could probably just sort of, yeah, I guess push back like in, in the way you go about things on that style a little bit but there are some that then if you make one mistake they'll sort of hold it over your head uh-huh. so it, it can be a bit of a t- tricky one to navigate but I also feel like as well it's really to the manager's detriment in the fact that part of the jo- like ability of being a manager is that you're there to be a sounding board and a sense check uh-huh. and if you're so in the weeds uh-huh. and you're across the detail of everything then when something yeah exactly how do you have an objective opinion on something if someone if someone in your team comes to you and says uh-huh. hey I just want to double check that I'm do you think I'm right with this? It's mm-hmm. kind of like you don't have that fresh eyes to be able to say, yes, no, maybe we should approach it this way. So I feel like then your value that you bring to your team as a manager is mm-hmm. significantly diminished as well. And at that point, aren't you meant to be looking broadly, you know, thinking strategically, looking at the bigger picture? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it just stops yeah. you from doing all of that. Yeah. I guess also no um, no professional growth opportunities is another big one. No capacity to move um, I've experienced gaslighting here where sort of, or, or, you know, empty promises where mm. I've been told, well, this will be a really great opportunity for you and this is going to happen soon and just wait till then mm-hmm. and nothing ever happens. There's no, um, none of that kind of professional development, no opportunity to expand. You feel like sealing into that role. Yep. Um, and but then when you leave, everyone's like, oh my God, why would you leave? Oh, and then they're like, oh, but we were going to put you into this position and we were going to do this and we were going to yeah, do that. It's like, but yeah, but you didn't. Yeah, so, do it bye. six months ago. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a big one. The other things are really around um, like bullying and harassment and disrespectful mm. behavior is allowed, being allowed to occur. And I think this isn't something I've seen too much, but I definitely know people who have. And, mm-hmm. that you, you know, there's just people who behave badly. Mm-hmm. They, you know, nasty to others, disrespectful, you know, 
there obviously this can go on, on a spectrum to become mm. quite significant. But yeah, if you're in an environment where even the little things, it's kind of like, you know, the standard you walk past is the standard you'll accept. Mm-hmm. And if you find that, um, yeah, places, people just aren't being called out or worse, the people who are the worst for this stuff are being promoted. Oh, like, doesn't it happen go. way too often? Mm. But it can even be little things like being left out of something, yeah. aren't it? Like you're not invited to a few people going out to a team lunch. It's yeah, like clickiness, ostracising, yep. that kind of stuff is awful. Yeah. Something else I've experienced as well um, is a boss talking to me about my colleagues behind my colleagues back in a negative way. Mm. And for me, I when this happened to me, I was so blown away. I was like, wow, one, if you're doing this to me about them, I have no doubt you do that to them about me. Mm. That's that classic gossip. You know, if mm-hmm. someone's bitching to you behind um, someone else's back, you mm-hmm. know that they're doing that about you to other people. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm sorry, grow up as a mm. boss. Like you need – like again, it's that stepping back – it's being that, um, you know, that leader, having that strategic um, care of your team. If you're then getting into bitchiness mm. about your employees or your direct reports mm-hmm. with your other direct reports, like I just, to me, that is appalling. Yeah, no, it's just not right. And I think, yeah, it, I think people really underestimate how difficult it is to lead. And I think lots of these mm. we're talking through this, a lot of this stuff just comes back to managers because as you say it is set at the top and it makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess something I've always just thought about in my career is like whenever I see this or behavior from a manager I just kind of try and take take stock and be yes. like oh I'll just keep that in mind for when I'm a as like what not to do yes um, I have an ever-growing list yeah. and I really don't want to forget these things and in a way you almost learn more from bad managers than you do from good totally. ones sadly <laughs> sadly um, what not to do but yeah I suppose the last couple of things we had that were sort of indicators of that um you know negative or toxic culture is really around like that's that psychological safety and being mm-hmm. afraid to fail so you know your people are afraid to speak up in fear of being being torn down you know they they or not getting a promotion mm-hmm. or they're you know they don't try new things because mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out they know they'll be you know like thrown over the coals for it as opposed to mm-hmm. going oh well it didn't work let's reassess and see what mm-hmm. we can do better next time um and i think that just stifles innovation it stifles creativity it stifles progress in the workplace in terms of how things are done and finding new and better ways of working mm-hmm. and it can just be again that kind of snowball yep. into just like stale stagnant toxic mm-hmm. And again, it's easy to fall into the trap. of. I think people can just so easily fall into line and think, well, this is just how it happens. I'm just going to stick to my mm. lane. I'll quiet, quit, I'll chip away, put up with this. Oh, yeah, quiet well, quitting. Yeah, yeah. P- put up with this awful behaviour. But again, it's that standard you walk by, the standard you accept. You know, I think that we all have a role to speak up when, you know, things mm. are getting bad like that. But easier said than done. Really tricky. If you're in that situation, um, yeah, it's a good one to think about. Yeah. So... What are some things that you can do if you find yourself in a toxic workplace? Because I think sometimes if you aren't a senior member of the team or you're a manager, you know, you can be, you can kind of feel powerless. Like Mm. you can't, there's nothing you can do to have any impact on the culture of the workplace, but there are some things that you can do. And yes, okay, maybe depending on your role, they're not going to, you know, radically change every single thing about Mm. your workplace, but they could change the way you're interacting with it and your experience and the impact that it's having on you. Mm -hmm. I think a really big one here, and it's something that I've often had to remind myself of, is remembering it's not your fault. Mm. I mean, we hope it's not. You know, as yeah. in like this we're talking about when you're stuck in that kind of environment, you're trying really hard, um, and that negativity about your job isn't your fault. So although having a positive attitude and collaborative mindset can help in certain situations, remember there's only so much you can do um, to improve that culture. And obviously we want to stick by our own morals, do behave, like stay above board in our own behaviour, um, mm. behave in a way that we are um, we can live with, mm-hmm. um, but even doing that, you know, 
can be one good apple in a bad barrel or yeah and I mean you know conversely like we were saying before often it can be that one one person that then it stems from sets the tone yeah um, yeah definitely the other one is around setting boundaries so if you're finding that you're constantly having to you know skip lunch or eat lunch at your desk or um you know maybe try and block calendar block that time out in your calendar mm-hmm. and explain to your boss that you need to be taking a break during the day to enable you to stay productive and uh-huh. to actually get the work done you know try setting a cutoff time in the e- you finding you know emails calls are leading into the evening try and set a cutoff time in uh-huh. the evening where you, by which after that you go I'm going to put my phone away uh-huh. I'm not going to be looking at my emails I'm not going to I'm going to put it on silent whatever it is and similarly like in the morning maybe you don't log on before 8am mm. you know that's you know depends yeah. on everyone's role and what times you start but they can be some good things to employ we used to be able to leave that at work you know your computer was mm. at work you shut down then I think probably in a post-covid world a lot of working from home yep. our emails are on our phones our team is on our phones our notifications mm-hmm. are on I had um, a former boss tell me he's like no emails past 9 p.m as in mm-hmm. in terms of he's like don't check don't look because at that point you're winding down for bed and if you see something that's going to then trigger you for the morning. You're going to be thinking about it. You're going to be stewing it all yeah. night. For him, it was 9 p.m. Um, it might be 8. It might be 5 for you. Yeah. Like it's setting a time and you stick with that. Do not jump into those emails. Yeah. If it's, I mean, you know, we're talking when it's not make or break. Like yeah. if you have a job that you're on 24-7 and you're on call, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Very different, obviously. Yeah. Um, but for the average, the average 9 to 5 job, yeah. set that time and stick to it. And because toxic workplaces, I think, have um, – managers or people that you know send email like everything's a crisis and everything oh, yes. is urgent and so if you're in a place like that then when you see an email at 9 p.m um and you get it it's like well i have to respond because mm-hmm. my boss is expecting that i'll respond because they're treating it like you know it's life or death which mm-hmm. you know very rarely mm-hmm. is it life or death yep. but then i also think it's one of those things that by then you replying and then maybe having to send an email to someone else you can kind of unknowingly and not not because you want to, but perpetuate right. that con- that culture too. So, you know, I think most workplaces, if, if your boss is annoyed at you for not replying after 9pm at mm-hmm. night, there's you got a bigger issue there. Totally. You need to get out. <laughs> I had in a previous workplace someone put on their email signature, which I really loved, was like, I work flexible hours, I have children, I'm replying to this email at a time that suits me. Please do the same for you. I did not expect yeah. to reply. I mean, it was much more eloquently worded than this, yeah. but it was just really nice. It was like, you know, if you maybe – 9 to 10 p.m. is when you catch up on your emails and you yeah. sort yourself out. Cool. I think but that's what we're definitely evolving to as well. And it comes to this whole – like there's a whole nother conversation around like the evolution of work mm. and the whole idea of being paid for the hours you work versus the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, yeah, COVID and I think a lot of places this year, I wouldn't be surprised if people end up majority back in the office and mm. less time at home. It's feeling like that, isn't it? A lot it? of places are moving to that. But this whole idea of like flexible working hours, I think hopefully we'll see that more. Yep. You know, some people starting at 10 and finishing at 6 or – you know, doing nine till one and then three till something, you know, Mm. whatever, or like nine till three and then, you know, seven to nine at night or whatever and fitting it around their workplace. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another good one is taking your break elsewhere. Get out of your workplace or get out of your home office, um, away from that screen, go for a walk, change up your environment, Mm -hmm. sunshine, get fresh air, go for a walk, move your body. Yeah. Even if it's just 15 minutes, just get out. It makes a difference. Your vitamin D levels will thank you also. Like maybe it's popping out for a lunchtime pedicure every now and then or Mm. a little lunchtime massage. Maybe it's going and doing some retail therapy. Maybe it is just walking around the block, listening to a podcast, removing yourself and your brain from that environment before you get back to it for the afternoon. Yeah, definitely. And where you can try to stay out of the drama. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, 
There are a few things that can be as exciting as office gossip. Like I know, I think we all know because someone's got some juicy gossip. We all love to listen. And a little here and there, it's okay. I mean, every single workplace gossip news travels like wildfire. Wildfire. It always happens. But if you're finding that it's a particularly negative, it's you know always there's always gossip. It's always terrible. It's always doom and gloom. As much as and you that can, clickiness as well. Yes, as much as you can, you know, stay out of it. Try not to get caught out up in it nothing positive really comes from that sort of toxic yep. gossip um so yeah it's not just, the schoolyard no but it, you know some people never grow out of it it seems no, that's it <laughs> find find your people find some colleagues you can trust and stick with them you know try to form closer bonds you can lean into that a little bit with those people in your workplace that you get along with and you can um you can confide in and those that offer you support and that you also sort of that reciprocal relationship where you get mm. each other through and mm-hmm. can confide in one another. I think um, you can deal, <clears throat> pardon me, you can deal with a lot if you have good people around you and laughter, things like being able to laugh about something that's happened. Yeah, Gosh, it is therapeutic and you need that. If it's all seriousness, sometimes, you know, sometimes you like, this is dark humor, but we ha- we have to laugh about it because it's so bad. You know, you have to ha- yeah. be able to have those people around you that you can have those little moments of release with. Definitely. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, the other one is around staying focused on your goals. So doing your best to stay in a positive state of, mar- state of mind, you know, reminding yourself that you won't be there forever and that you have bigger and better things ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, this job is kind of like a stepping stone into where you want to be. And that, yeah, I think the other thing with your goals is to know that, your, your achieving those goals is not dependent on you staying in that workplace for a set amount yes. of time either. You don't have to stay 12 months yeah. if it's that bad, you know. Yeah, or even staying in that department. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can move around and you have options. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I think a sort of more outside of work type one that can help is creating routine, making time for the things you love. So if you're continually missing, um, you know, that morning or afternoon workout because of work, um, how can you, what can you change to fit that in? Are you missing family dinners or um, catch ups with friends after work? How can you carve out that time for those commitments and set that boundary with work? Yeah, it's such a big one. Because I think that's what we were saying before. It can really, if you've got a place that there's no, you know, respect for people's work, their time mm-hmm. outside of work, which let's be honest, we're not being paid for that time outside no. of work. Um, yeah, then I think, yeah, setting that boundary is really, really important. Mm, and I know it's easier said than done. It can mm. be really tricky, but it's also, it's a bit like a muscle. You can you can develop it, you know, set that boundary. Yes. And the more you do it, the more times you say, no, actually, I have, you know, my yeah. husband's birthday dinner and I'm going to it. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. You'll get better at it. And advocating for yourself, you know, if you've mm. been set an unreasonable deadline, you know, have a conversation with your boss and say, well, that's fine. If you want me to get this done by 5 p.m. today, I can do that, but I have to, what can I deprioritize based on what else I've got because I can't get it all done in the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having that conversation can be difficult, but, you know, if you don't raise it as well, because some people just lack self-awareness, let's be honest, and they oh, probably totally. just don't realize how much work you've got on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're witnessing bullying or forms of harassment or your experience, it, does your work have a whistleblower hotline that you mm-hmm. can call? Can you go to HR? Mm-hmm. Although sometimes <laughs> it can be a little bit fraught. We love all our HR Sadly, professionals but- out there, but I... You know, I do like to remember that they're working for the business at the yeah. end of the day. So that can and the be interest of the business. And some places that can be really, they can be great and other places they can't be as good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, if you don't have those options, you know, look at fair work. See what your options are mm-hmm. and what you can do. Because at the end of the day, like, if it is bullying, that's a crime. Mm-hmm. And you have rights. You do. 
Um, you do. Remind yourself that you are good at what you do. You know, one thing a toxic workplace or boss can really rob you of is that confidence. Mm-hmm. But remember you were hired for a reason and you are capable and just because the people you're with right now aren't appreciating that or not actually allowing you to demonstrate it because you've been giving these paltry tasks and everything else is being held, um, you know, by your micromanaging boss. Mm. Remember, you know, times that you have um, really succeeded, things you've achieved and just remind yourself that you are good at what you do, you are capable and you deserve to be treated better. Yeah. And yeah, I guess just just don't forget that. Yeah. And I think around that is, is also like planning your exit. Yeah, I feel like this we should have led with this. Yeah. Get out yes. of a toxic, toxic workplace. Yes. I mean, there's, you know, we need – people can't always just up and quit their job with no backup plan. So that's why no. we're talking about things we can do with it to work within the confines of that awful yeah. workplace. Or also you might be in a in the workplace and it's horrible, but it's just not the right time for various reasons mm-hmm. for you to leave. Like maybe it's, you know, coming up to Christmas, for example, mm. which is a time when notoriously there's very few jobs available yeah. externally. And, you know, while – yeah. So I think it's just about planning. And like you say, reminding yourself what you're good at. Like sometimes with that plan, it can be looking at um, job ads on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. seeing what sort of skills and things, talking to recruiters. Update about that resume. Yes. Start to list your achievements. Start to think, okay, this is terrible, but I've done X, Y, Z here. I can pop that into my achievements or skills mm-hmm. in my resume, things I've been able mm-hmm. to work through to achieve, to do. Yep. Start to like take matters into your own hands, take back some of that control. Yep. And planning your exit doesn't necessarily necessarily have to mean leaving the workplace if you're Mm. in a big organization it could be leaving the department you know is there a common opportunity in another team that's come up Mm -hmm. is there another role in a different part of the business that you sort of use related skills to what you use now that you could go for you know it doesn't have to be oh I've got to leave Mm -hmm. yeah that's it Remember that while we're often conditioned to believe that we should be grateful for our work for employing us, they actually need us too. Yeah. Like they need you. They hired you because you have skills that you can bring that they need, that they're going to pay for. Yeah. It's a two-way street and you can leave. You know, loyalty, if there's anything we know, loyalty is not rewarded the way it once was. Yeah. And you don't have to be somewhere, you know, a set amount of time before you leave. I think knowing when to call it, Mm -hmm. knowing when to quit is a skill. Like I think that whole never quit is like the worst advice ever created because Mm. there's a lot of things that we quit doing throughout our life for a reason. Yeah. We, we quit, um, you know, using nappies when we're little because we, yeah. you know, just for example, like the silly, silly example, but like yeah. knowing when to quit to move on to evolve is yeah. an important skill. And I think a lot of people fear that, oh, I've only been here three or six months, but I really hate it. I can't go mm. somewhere else. You I mean, I guess you probably don't want too many three to six month stints on your yeah. resume, but I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, you know, in a job interview for a new role, if they say, oh, you've only been mm. at workplace A for so many months why are you leaving you can just say that I thought it was going to be this and it's turned out that it's this and that there's the culture and there's some things that are happening internally there that I that don't align with my values Mm -hmm. and that's why I'm looking for another opportunity yeah and also I'm not being stretched enough in this role I thought that I was going to have these opportunities I didn't have them I'm just really keen to be to be pushed to be stretched to grow in my career and I wasn't getting that yep and yeah, that's perfectly acceptable answer to give. I think the other thing when around this planning your exit is to really look beyond the benefits. Mm. There are some jobs that come with a set of sort of golden handcuffs. So maybe it's that you're staying there because you're two years away from your long service leave or you're six months away from a bonus payment or because some other benefit just seems too good to move for. Or you're being promised a promotion if you just yes. stick with this. Yeah. Yeah. 
but you're putting up with a toxic workplace for longer and if that's impacting your mental and physical well-being really consider if that benefit is worth it mm-hmm. and I also think people need to keep in mind that moving jobs doesn't always mean that you'll be worse off when it comes to those benefits so some entitlements like if you're in a government job or if you're a nurse or if you're a teacher mm-hmm. that sort of thing in the government system if you move workplaces a lot of those things will follow you mm-hmm. so you might be moving to a new yeah a new hospital or a new school mm-hmm. but your long service leave and some of those other entitlements will carry over with you yeah. um but also even if you're leaving from a corporate job and just say yeah okay I'm six months away from getting my bonus try and negotiate a sign-on bonus mm-hmm. with your new company yeah like, you can do that totally and you have more neg- much more negotiating power at that point of entry mm. um you know, that's like there's actually research that shows that people who move jobs every two years um, earn significantly more over their career and progress that ladder more quickly mm. than people who stay at one company. It comes back to that loyalty thing. Mm. You can get pigeonholed and everyone always wants, you know, they hire the new shiny thing, person, mm. whatever, um, and it can be easy to be, you know, they might see you for what you were when you started your career so you can't move up. You go to a brand yes. new workplace, you can kind of reinvent yourself to some extent and be seen for those skills that you're bringing and, you know, jump up that pay bracket and also something I would add that I think is important is that sometimes like it it is okay to take a pay cut you know sometimes we can stick with something because we think oh my salary is really good and if I go to that role I'm not going to get paid as much there are you know maybe it's improved work-life balance maybe there are other benefits you can get like salary packaging um, maybe you can negotiate an extra week or two of annual leave a year yep it you know, things can balance it out and mm. try – like money is not the be-all and end-all. And I know it's – I've done that where I left a job where I was being paid significantly more for another role just because of cultural issues. And um, it's easy sometimes to look back with rose-coloured glasses and think, oh, should I have just sucked it up and stuck with that salary? But no, like I know I was in a place where it was not serving me and I was really struggling. And like you said at the start, it was seeping into all other areas of my life. Mm. It was impacting my mental health. It was impacting impacting my relationships and I just had to know when to call it and yeah. I did that and I took a pay cut to do that um but work-life balance in that next role really really improved there was some like salary packaging options so I just think it's worth looking at the whole like take, take a step back and look at that whole bigger picture yeah. as well yeah I think it really comes back to doing a bit of a cost cost benefit analysis mm. like you know obviously not everyone has the luxury of taking a significant pay cut it really depends obviously on your individual financial situation and ideally and we don't want to take a pay cut yeah like. ideally we can't. <laughs> but at the same time like if it's yeah like you say if it's the cost if the the cost for that higher salary benefit is that you're miserable mm. and feeling dreading going to work every single day and just hating life then mm. Really, really ask yourself if it's is is it worth it? Because I feel like in a lot of cases it just isn't. Like it goes back to that whole thing: ninety thousand hours of our lives we spend working thirteen point two continuous years. It's a long, long time. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of time, and yeah, I think we really like that, that's the it's a finite resource. Our time mm-hmm. when we're working, we're trading our time for money. So you really have to make sure that that transaction is worth your while. Yeah, and I often try and think of it in the context of like if I look back in 10 years' time, what am I going to think? Am I going to be so glad that I was miserable for an extra three years just for that extra little bonus I got? Mm. Or am I going to make a move even if it's a sideways move, even if it's like a sidestep, not a step up, um, and and be happy that I then, you know – found a workplace that I was so much more happy in everything about my life improved I was you know yeah it's more fulfilling um, and I think last point I would just say is remember that you know where you work is your choice for the most part um, yeah and you can leave you know it's just empowering you 
empower yourself that, um, you know, quitting can be demonized, but really knowing when to quit, like I said, is a skill. Don't waste time in a dead end job. Like it's about taking back that control and getting yourself out there. If you've just realized that it's not serving you, you are miserable. Take that step. Yeah. As hard as it can be, but Mm. yeah. Well, we hope that this episode has been inspiring for you and that if you're, yeah, in a toxic workplace that it's given you a bit of, I guess, some strategies and some ideas around Mm. how you can maybe, yeah, change that for yourself or if you want to make the move, maybe the confidence to start Mm -hmm. looking. I mean, there's no harm in looking. Like I've been given advice throughout my career that says everyone should interview at least once a year, whether you want the job or not. So that's it's the other a, it's thing. It's a really good idea because I hate job interviews and I, usually they're so far, few and far between in terms of a few years and then suddenly you're having to interview and it's terrifying and it's stressful exactly. and you don't have your examples at hand. Yep. But keeping that skill up to date yeah. and also your resume, keep that resume yep. up to date. And the confidence. You know, mm. if you go for that new job and they offer it to you, you don't actually have to take it. There's yep. no obligation. You've not signed a contract. But it can just give you that inspiration and that confidence that you can do it and that you do have options outside of your current workplace. That's it. So thank you for listening. We love having you here. Just a little reminder to jump on our socials and connect with us. Give us a review, send us some feedback. And um, on that note, if you have stories you want to share with us confidentially, uh, maybe you have some uh, little tactics that have worked for you or some advice that we can share um, with our listeners on our social media, send it through. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. So thank you all for listening today and we will see you in the next one. Bye. The Brunch Files would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live, meet, work and play, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and of course any First Nations peoples who may be listening today. This podcast is all about the adventures, stories and laughs of being a woman in her 30s. While we strive to entertain and share relatable experiences, please remember that our content is purely for fun and shouldn't be taken too seriously and it's definitely not professional advice. Life is a wild ride and everyone's journey is unique. We believe that laughter is the best policy and we're just here to spread some joy.